Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Oxford Policy Pod. We have a very exciting episode for you today, and I'll be your host. My name is Nikki Lucenario, and I'm an economist and policy researcher from the Philippines, and also, of course, an MPP student here at the Blavatnik School of Government. Um, I'm joined here by my co-host, Gloria. Hello, my name is Gloria Wawera. I'm from Kenya, and like Nikki, uh, I just finished the MPP here at Blavatnik School of Government, and I'm an intern at the Golub. So as I said, we have a very exciting episode for you guys today. Um, we have as our guest, Andrea Anastasiu, who is the executive director of the Government Outcomes Lab, which is very exciting for us because it's one of the policy research centers that's actually based here at the BSG. And then we've seen them around school and we're so excited to know more about what they do. So Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Nikki and Gloria. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's get straight into it. Could you tell us more about the GoLab and what you guys do? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So the Government Outcomes Lab is one of the research programs based here at the Blavatnik School of Government. We're quite unique as a research program in that we're very focused on making sure that the knowledge that we generate through our research is actually used out there by policymakers, uh, by practitioners, nonprofits, and so on. So alongside our research work, we work very hard on a very comprehensive program of uh, engagement activities, capacity building and loads more. Cool. So it focuses on, um, if correct me if I'm wrong, but a particularly new kind of public procurement, right? Quite partly, yeah. You know what? I love talking about the work that we do at the Government Outcomes Lab. Um, really broadly speaking, what we really care about within the team is improving the way governments around the world work with the private sector and the voluntary sector. So nonprofits, organizations, social enterprises, socially motivated businesses, um, and so on. Why do we care so deeply about this? Well, it's because if you think about any policy area from tackling climate change to supporting uh, homeless people to supporting children in care, governments alone can't deal with those challenges. It needs to work effectively with the private sector. It needs to work effectively with the voluntary sector. A lot of that work is done through procurement. So you've mentioned procurement, contracting, government contracts and so on. And sometimes that can sound really, really dry. I think most people, if you ask them about, you know, the, the top concerns on their mind, you know, they might mention cost of living, inflation, climate change. How many people would actually say contracting? That's what's keeping me up at night. Well, that's what's <laughs> keeping me up at night. Uh -huh. But I think it's just really, really important. Uh, governments spend a huge amount of uh, money on these services. Uh, and if we can improve the way that funding is spent, then we can, A, save money, use money, public money better, but we can generate better life outcomes for those who need government support the most. Uh, so that's why, that's that's what we really care about. Sometimes it's quite a difficult story to tell to non-expert audiences, but ultimately for us, it's about improving public services, about improving the way government works with other organizations. And really, I really want to make this point. For me, what's at stake is actually uh, restoring faith in public services. I think a lot of people you know, we, when you read the news, when you read about government government contracts, it's usually the, the failures, the issues that make it into the headlines um, for the right reasons. But I think it's also important to not become too pessimistic and too disengaged and actually keep asking, how can we improve the way government works and how can we improve the way it works in partnership with other organizations? So what we do at the GoLab is try to answer these really difficult questions uh, and help others asking these questions to find answers. I mean, I love what you said, um, helping governments do better. 
But I'm wondering, do you use any specific tools, any specific instruments that you research? How are we improving government doing better? Yeah, great question. And there are so many ways to do that. So in our work, we focus specifically on more innovative forms of partnership between governments and other organizations. Um, innovative in many different ways. But what we're really interested in is the potential to use a focus on outcomes. So really mm. well-defined, specified, measurable outcomes in the way you organize these uh, partnerships with other sectors, uh, that can be really powerful because often what happens is we spend public money with very little ideas to the impact that that funding is actually making. So we can, if we can shift just a little bit of that funding into uh, things where that we know have a, an impact, I think that can be really powerful. So what we're interested in is outcome-based Partnerships. It can sound a bit complicated and dry, but it's a really simple idea that you're tying the, the funding that underpins a partnership to the achievement of specified outcomes. That's that's quite simple, right? Yeah, sounds pretty straightforward. Um, outcome-based partnerships. If I'm breaking them down, do I have categories? How are they used? What sectors are they used in? Do you want to go a little bit more into that? Yeah. Oh, great question. And I could feel hours and hours and hours talking about this. <laughs> we have time. Uh, we have, we time. have time. Great. Um, there's no straightforward answer, I'm afraid, like, you know, many things in life uh, with outcomes-based partnerships. And I have to say this, in academia, for research purposes, it's always really, really helpful to start with a really clear definition. Mm. Um, the practice is much messier, much more complicated. And what we've seen in practice with outcomes-based partnerships is a more innovative way to organize uh, work between government and other organizations um, in outside the public sector is that there's a lot of variation a lot of adaptation. So this simple idea of tying payments uh, to achieved outcomes has been stretched and flexed in lots of different ways. Um, so it's quite challenging, I think, to talk about specific categorization. And perhaps that's not even helpful, right? Like what matters is actually to understand what are the mechanisms by which these mm. different forms of partnerships are achieving better outcomes. But because you are interested in sort of kind of very narrowing down a little bit, what do we actually mean by these partnerships? One particular instrument that we're investigating um, in our research work is something called the social impact bonds, also referred to as impact bonds, social outcome contracts, social outcome partnerships. Again, a, a suite of different terms because different countries and different organizations are employing their own uh, terminology for the way they're describing um, these mechanisms. But social impact bonds, they've been around for um, well over a decade now. Um, so there's been quite a lot of, of interest, both in the UK and internationally, in experimenting with this type of outcomes-based uh, contracting. What's different in a social impact bond compared to other types of outcomes-based partnerships is that the uh, upfront capital that, that an organization would require to be able to deliver a particular service or program while they're waiting for the outcome payments to kick in, uh, that upfront capital is provided by socially motivated investors. Mm. So you have a really interesting uh, triangle, I suppose, where you have government usually acting as the outcome funder. Uh, then you have a delivery organization, very often a, a nonprofit or voluntary organization providing the services on the basis that they will be paid if certain outcomes are achieved. And then you have the social investors who provide the um, capital to the delivery organization so that they can get the project up and running. If the project is successful, if the outcomes are achieved, uh, then the government pays for those outcomes. So then the delivery organization and the investors uh, get repaid for their work. 
uh, in theory, if they don't achieve the outcomes, then there's no payment. But I have to say, reality is always a bit more complex than uh, that straightforward explanation. Oh, yeah, that actually sounds, in theory, really amazing. Like you have something so innovative, then you have the government, the private sector all pitching in to basically create better social outcomes, which is kind of everyone's <laughs> goal, right? That's all what we want. We want real results and real change. Um, but I think just coming from a newcomer, it might still be more useful to understand it in practicality. Maybe you could give us an example because it feels really exciting, but it's kind of hard to picture happening in reality. Yeah, I, I think it is challenging. And I think part of it is because you first need to understand how public services or social programs are mm -hmm. usually funded. So I think that needs to be the starting point. I'm sure mm -hmm. a lot of the people listening to the podcast will be very familiar of that. So apologies if what I'm saying seems really obvious. But a lot of the public services that the government contracts out to the private sector or to non-profit organization is uh, done on the basis of inputs or outputs. So let's say me, the government, want to uh, see a reduction in unemployment rates. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to set up some programs that will get, let's say, young people who are at risk of unemployment into either more education or employment. How would I go about doing that? Well, I could, let's say, Gloria as a, a nonprofit who is specialized in working with young people facing unemployment. So I could go to Gloria and say, Gloria, I will pay you this much money if you deliver 20 hours of training per week for 200 people. Gloria, you go, you, you know, pick some people, do the training, tick the box. Yes, you've done your 20 hours a week and you get paid. That's it. That's for me it, as a yeah. government, do I really at the end of that program have any idea whether the young people you've worked with actually secure the job uh, are, or are they best in, in employment? I'm sure sometimes it happens and obviously all contracts have like KPIs and so on. But really what the government fundamentally cares about is actually, you know, not that someone's done a training program, right? That's the, the input or the activity, uh, but the results, the outcomes, that person who's received support, who's received training, actually getting a job. So that's the idea in an outcomes-based contract. For me as the government, I would say to Gloria, I won't pay you for the hours of training. I will pay you for perhaps the percentage of young people that you've worked with that actually end up in employment. Now, maybe that sounds relatively straightforward. And I remember when I first came across the concept of outcomes-based contracting, I thought, gosh, all public services should be funded in this way. It makes perfect sense. We should only pay for impact. But the, the reality is much more uh, complicated, as I'm sure you can imagine, because there are real challenges with articulating, for example, really good outcomes. So unemployment and securing a job as an outcome is a relatively straightforward example. It, it's easy to define the outcome there. But when you're looking at complex social problems, it becomes much more complicated to have the certainty that you've identified the, the right outcomes. Um, that makes sense both for the government, for example, as the outcome funder, but also for the beneficiaries. Because Gloria, to go back to, to the unemployment example, perhaps the young people that you're supporting, that I'm paying you as the government to support, they might not even want to get a job, right? So yeah. maybe mm. what's more important to them is their well-being. Maybe they want to go into more uh, education and training. So there are um, real trade-offs and quite subtle considerations um, that you need to make if you want to work in an outcomes-based uh, partnership. 
And then even when you're clear about the outcomes that you want to see achieved and you're confident that those are the, the right outcomes, then there are lots of challenges around measurements. So again, to go back to the unemployment example, uh, for how long do you need to track people to know that they're in unemployment? Is it just the fact that they've secured the job? Is it that they managed to stay in a job for three months, six months? Where do you draw a line? And obviously there are additional costs that are associated with the need to gather this additional data. Um, so it's a, for me, a, a quite simple idea, very appealing. Uh, but I would say that the devil's in the detail. And that's why in the work we do at the Government Outcomes Lab, alongside the research work, we also do a lot of capacity building work because we believe that for governments to be able to work effectively in this way, they need to have the right skills, the right knowledge, the right networks to be able to design these contracts as robustly as possible. I mean, like you said, the idea seems pretty straightforward. In fact, I was quite enthusiastic but you ended with a few concerns. And so I'm wondering, has this been done anywhere? Um, please, um, in the West, in the Global South, are there examples that you can cite for us? Yeah, loads of examples, actually. So uh, I've mentioned social impact bonds specifically. That's a tool that was first developed in the UK back in 2010. And actually it's sparked a little bit of a revolution in that it's now been adopted in lots of other countries around the world. So um, there are about 280 impact bond projects launched oh, wow. really on, on all, all continents in very different contexts and very different welfare systems. So that's really interesting. And I think it begs the question of, you know, why are different countries, different organizations working in very different systems employing this particular model? And I think it's the underpinning flexibility. So it can be quite hard to describe what exactly is an impact bond because actually underneath it, there's a lot of variation in the way they're being employed um, mm. in practice. But we've seen uh, projects in the UK, Portugal, uh, France, India, South Africa, South Korea, Australia, uh, literally all over the world. So it's really exciting. And for us, that's also interesting because it gives us the opportunity to compare, for example, what's been happening in the UK with what's happening in other places. Yeah, no, that's really exciting. Um, you mentioned something about flexibility. I think when we think of government contracting, we think of it as a very rigid <laughs> transaction, right? Which makes it really difficult um, when you're trying to handle really complex social issues. Could you just share more about how this makes it a bit more flexible as well mm. for governments? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think the flexibility works at multiple levels. The first level and probably the most important one is the actual flexibility in delivery. Because with a lot of social programs or public services, what tends to happen is government tends to specify exactly what it wants to see achieved. 20 hours of training of this nature mm -hmm. using this, this and that um, in an outcomes-based partnership, you don't specify that. You're just focused on the outcomes and you use the, the data that you're gathering and reviewing regularly to understand what's working and not, uh, what's not working. And what that means in practice is that you can tweak, you can adapt your delivery model. Um, so you don't start with, this is what we do, this is what we know, it works, uh, and we'll continue to deliver that regardless. You start with an open mind, Obviously, you'll have a basis and, you know, a degree of confidence that what you're doing works, 
But sometimes, for example, if you're uh, introducing a particular program to a new population or a new set of circumstances, it may be that what's worked in one place won't necessarily work in another. So if mm. you're focused on outcomes and gathering that performance data really regularly, and if you use that data very actively to inform your decision-making processes, then you can adjust your delivery model in real time. So that's incredibly valuable for delivery organizations. And I think it takes a little bit of a leap of faith for, for government as the outcome funder to be able to say, we don't have all the answers. We will look to, to the organizations that are doing the delivery uh, to learn from them. And actually, we will learn together and build on this knowledge to design future programs. So that's that's really, really huge because often with traditional contracts, even if you realize that something's not working, you're bound by the letter of that contract. Mm. So having the flexibility to adjust the delivery model based on what the, the impact data is telling you is really powerful. And the other important layer of flexibility that we've seen in the Impact One projects that we've looked at in our research is the flexibility in the, the ways of working across the different stakeholders involved. So I mentioned earlier, that in an impact one, you have at the very least an uh, outcome funder, delivery organization, um, and social investors. In reality, there's loads more organizations, or sometimes you have multiple providers, multiple investors involved, and so on. Um, when you design your governance structures, it's important to think about how can we build in that flexibility so that we can all get together and respond to changing circumstances, respond to what the data is telling us in a really agile way. So that's something really exciting. And from some of the research that we've been doing in the UK, we're seeing a sort of much more uh, relational way of working in this contract emerging, which is really exciting. And I think it's funny that, yeah, most people, when you say contracting, they just associate it with rigidity, maybe even bureaucracy. And what we're seeing in practice with some of the projects we looked at is uh, trust-based relationships, very dynamic ways of working, but you need to have really good governance structures in place to achieve that. Oh, wow, um, that's that's very interesting. But what strikes me even more is the data. Um, you talked a lot about learning, remaining agile as you implement this project. This data, um, is it correlated? Is it a place we can go to learn about it? Who's keeping track on it and how can we measure it? How do we know? Wow, Gloria, that's just so, so many questions into one data. We love data at the Government Outcomes Lab and not just because we're an academic center, uh, but because data is at the heart of understanding what works and doesn't work. And with more, with any any government contract, any area of public spending, right? To have faith in government, to be sure that government or public institutions are good stewards of public money. We need to have access to, to data, see that transparently, understand how much is government spending. And, you know, we, and we've seen big issues, for example, with the way during COVID, um, personal protective equipment contracts were awarded with you know, huge issues and huge waste in public money. So data is important um, for many reasons. With outcomes-based contracting in particular, one of the key questions that we have is how do they compare to more traditional ways of funding mm -hmm. public services? You know, it's great that we uh, are potentially unlocking more innovation and more collaboration in the provision of public services, but is it really worth it? compared to more traditional ways um, of funding uh, 
Um, so for that, you need data. You need to have really good data to understand the, the impact that these programs are having. And you need to have really um, good standardized data to be able to make comparisons across different projects and to really understand where is the best practice, what works really well, and what is it that perhaps we should be doing mm -hmm. less of. The exciting thing is that with a lot of the um, outcomes-based partnerships, like su such as social impact ones, we actually already have loads more data publicly available that we have on traditional contracts because of this inherent focus on outcomes and measurement, right? So that's really exciting. Uh, where it gets a bit complicated is that, you know, there are at least 280 projects around the world getting data on all these projects making sure that data is accurate um, and up to date can be really challenging. But at the goal lab, because we do want to understand with impact ones in particular, uh, what's the state of play, what's the best practice, and also kind of how can we learn from one place to another? We've worked really, really hard to actually make sense of all this data in lots of different places around the world and bring it all together into one open access place. Um, so data is a big part of our work. Um, I'll pause there for a second because I feel, Gloria, that I'm not fully answering your question and going off on a tangent about uh, why we love data. No, no, no. You're not going on a tangent at all. I am I am loving the things that you're highlighting, um, how different projects will produce different outcomes and how we need to track those. And you were talking about how Golab has collated this. Yeah. I think we should... It, it sounds like a massive yeah. undertaking. Like, I'm actually very curious. I'm listening very curiously. Please go Okay, in. great. Thank you. And do stop me at any point. I clearly care so deeply about this stuff and I feel like it's so important. And it I feel like through. everyone should be just as excited about data and government contracting. <laughs> great. Yes. So one of the challenges is that we have lots of projects all over the world uh, with no real kind of like requirement for these projects to come in and report their data anywhere, uh, both in order to do high quality research and to be able to improve practice, you need to have access to good data to answer all the questions that I was asking earlier. So what we've done uh, at the GoLab in relation to data is actually we've started a uh, global data collaborative. Um, I don't know whether that sounds a bit cryptic. What What is that? It's basically working with the global community of stakeholders who own data related to this impact bond project mm -hmm. to get them to voluntarily share their data with us. What we do is we get, we work really hard. We have an amazing team of data stewards within the GoLab. And yeah, I just want to give them a massive shout out because they've been working so hard over the past few years to turn this sort of like small idea into something that's like truly global and truly inclusive. So what do we do? We rely on the global community of practice to share their data with us. Uh, what do we do in return? We... Uh, collate it, we quality assure it, and we make it publicly available um, on our knowledge hub. This is hugely important to us, open access data. We're not selfish gathering data just for the sake of research or to you know, get papers published uh, or to be able to point out what doesn't work. What we want to do is gather all this data, make sure it's really high quality and enable the whole world to use it. I know it sounds hugely ambitious and it is, and we've been really privileged to be able to work with amazing organizations um, to make this happen. And the really exciting thing is that all the people who work in the field recognize 
recognize the importance of data. So they've been really open, really forthcoming in sharing that data with us. One of the challenges does remain the fact that there's a you know lack of standardization. What mm-hmm. uh, we call uh, you know outcome funder in the UK context, maybe it's uh, described slightly differently uh, in. France or, you know, there are lots of roles, lots of complexity involved in this project. So one of the things that we've started doing is try to bring more standardization mm-hmm. um, in the way we're gathering and reporting this data. But again, new projects, new models are emerging all the time. So we're working hard to keep on top of the, the practice. But the really great thing is that anyone interested in simply understanding more about things like impact bonds, what are they? What do they look like in practice? Who's doing them? What kind of organizations are involved? Or what kind of outcomes are being used to, to link payments to? Uh, where in the world are happening? All that information is available through the GoLab Knowledge Hub. Uh, and it's free to access. It's free for researchers. They can download the whole data set with all this data that we've worked for years and years to put together. It's also available for government officials. So if you're sat in government and you're wondering, oh, this sounds intriguing. Is this something that I could be using in the particular policy era that I'm uh, responsible for? You can check out that like one resource and it will be a, a huge first step in that direction. So yeah, something that we're very proud of. Sounds oh, very exciting. We're so excited. And I think especially for students like us, just having access to data, being able to do research more in a topic we find interesting. The GoLab is doing such a massively amazing job to help researchers and policymakers. But it seems, Andrea, that um, data and collecting that data and doing all that data work It's super important, but it seems to be one part of also a massively huge equation to be able to actually solve the issues that we have. And I think at least coming from a student perspective, having the data is one big step, but also understanding the data and translating that data for so many different stakeholders that the GoLab probably has is another challenge. (laughs) Could you tell us more about how you actually make that data more understandable for your stakeholders? Yeah, that's so spot on, Gloria. Clearly, you should work for the GoLab. You really (laughs) get it. And this is why I said at the start that the GoLab is really unique because we recognize it's not enough to do high quality research, although obviously that's really important. It's not even enough to make high quality data um, openly accessible. You need to take that data and you need to take the evidence to the policymakers, to practitioners in the forums that they engage with and that they recognize. And that. And you also need to speak the language of policymakers. And I know this sounds really funny, but I do genuinely believe that sometimes academia and public policy speak quite different languages. And obviously it's exciting being part of the school of government where we are trying to build more bridges and bring, I suppose, build a common language. That's also something that we've tried to do at the Government Outcomes Lab. Um, And we do that in lots of different ways. So A, we spend a lot of time just listening to policymakers and practitioners, just like really trying to understand the, the challenges that they face and the questions that they have to make sure that our research and data help answer those questions. Uh, so that we're not doing research just for the sake of it or just because something it's intellectually um, interesting. And uh, we try to engage with compassion. That's something that I I feel personally very strongly about because we know policymakers work in incredibly tough environments. There's just so much pressure on them, so much pressure on their time. So the more we can package um, our evidence, our data into formats that will be easy for them to engage with, uh, we try to do um, a lot of that. The other thing that's really, really important to 
us is that our engagement with governments really around the world feels like a two-way interaction. So for us, it's not about, oh, we have all the answers. Here you go. It's constantly, constantly learning from practitioners and and from government officials. Uh, And that's, for me personally, you know, one of the most amazing parts of my job. And that's one thing that I think stands out in the in the goal lab, the way we understand evidence is not just about the academic knowledge. And of course, with Oxford University, that's hugely important to our work. But we try to take a much more holistic view of, of what constitutes um, um, evidence. And we want to make sure we incorporate in our research, for example, the lived experience of frontline staff, the, the voice of, of service users. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really fun and dynamic environment. And um, yeah, I think an ambitious way to uh, think about evidence and think about how government engage with that. I love that, like data-driven, evidence-based, but also engagement with passion. Like it's really striking a balance between, you know, having something tangible, but also understanding that a lot of things need to be more relational, need to be more flexible. It's so exciting. Could you maybe tell us um, just from your experience so that we understand more, um, who do you work with the most? Maybe you could share some of your experiences, uh, real-life experiences with some of your stakeholders. Yeah, sure. I mean, we work with so many different organizations. In the UK, the UK government has been a key partner over the past seven years. Uh, and that's central government, so Whitehall departments, but also local government. Local government plays such a key role in the provision of public services. Uh, they're definitely a key stakeholder for us. But also like internationally, so governments around the world really reach out to us Um First, when they want to understand more about outcomes-based partnerships and things like impact bonds, I think with you know with, with innovation, it's great to be learning from other places. But sometimes, because of all the complexity involved, it can also be a bit overwhelming. So quite often, we get approached by you know different government departments really all over the world for that kind of like initial help us make sense of outcomes-based partnerships. What's the best practice? What are the examples? What are the difficult questions that we should keep in mind? And we also work uh, with philanthropists of, you know, organizations really across the board who are interested in working more effectively across sector to uh, sectors uh, to improve social outcomes. So, uh, and you'll know from your own time with the, with the Go Lab, every day is different. Tomorrow we have a delegation from Taiwan coming, for example, because they want to learn more about innovation in cross-sector partnerships. Uh, we have partnerships with organizations in, in South Africa, with Brazil. And it's not just obviously about government and policymakers. We also partner uh, on the academic side with lots of amazing um, research centers and institutes, again, really all over the world. Clearly, collaboration is something that's really important to us. We're a relatively small team, but growing, uh, growing all the time. And it's just part of our ethos, really, to to reach out uh, to those organizations doing interesting work uh, where there's alignments in, in terms of um, our mission and, pa- and partner with them. Andrea, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, thoroughly enjoyed getting to know the goal up. But I hear that something is cooking and coming up sometime next week or the week after. Do you want to tell us more about that? Yeah, it's all I ever talk about, Gloria. <laughs> so I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, we love bringing together experts from across different sectors, creating that space for uh, open knowledge exchange challenge sometimes but also like learning learning from each other inspiring each other is really important and often you have 
forums for academics and you have forums for government officials, but very rarely do they all get together to exchange ideas. Um, so we're really, really proud that every year we bring together the wonderful School of Government here in Oxford, um, key stakeholders from across the world who are interested in improving social uh, outcomes. So that's our social outcome conference um, and takes place on the 14th and 15th of September. Um, this year. It's open to all. Uh, I don't know when the uh, podcast will go out, but even for those who've missed the conference, I think if people are interested in, you know, are intrigued after our discussion today to find out more, we share openly all the resources we have, all the discussions from the conference, because we really, really believe in uh, sharing as widely and openly as possible the knowledge that we and others in the field generate. Thank you so much. I mean, as a student of public policy, having spent one year here, I'm filled with hope by the work that GoLab is doing. I love the ethos of collaboration with governments across the world, as well as civil society and private sector. I think what you're doing is remarkable and we can all learn so much from it. Don't you think, Nikki? I agree. Um, I think that we've opened like a door to so many new innovative options, like really challenging us to think creatively about how we conduct partnerships between different sectors. And as a student as well, I feel like this is something that we've been tackling all, all throughout the year. the year. Just, you know, understanding evidence, explaining evidence, talking to different stakeholders. And here you guys are also at the school actually doing the work that needs to be done to get these things to happen. And honestly, this is I'm so excited personally for the Outcomes Conference. It really sounds like the event of the year. And I'm also so happy that the GoLab has been so open with everything and sharing its knowledge. And I'm personally, I am very excited to see more at the Knowledge Hub. Um, Andrea, as we wrap this up, I don't know, do you want to leave us with five minutes or five words of wisdom or anything you'd like the students to take? Um, we have a huge audience listening. Of course, the MPPs of 2022 and the income in 2023 class. But also, I know a lot of people in policy space would be curious. If you were to take one thing away, what would you want us to remember? Yeah, absolutely. Well, tough question, Gloria. Well, I think first for the MPP students here at the school, um, over the past seven years, we've been so fortunate actually every year to get to work with MPP students here at the school. It's brilliant. They usually reach out to us at the start of the term or even some before they join. And actually, we've already heard from some of the MPP students starting this September. Um, so yeah, it's wonderful to work with them. The, the quality of the, the students here at the school, it's incredible. And each and every single MPP student we've worked with at the GoLab have added so much to our work. And obviously this summer, we were fortunate to have you too and your work has been absolutely phenomenal. For me, what's really interesting with, with our work and perhaps this is the, the thing that I would like to leave the listeners with is that cross-sector partnerships are important regardless of the policy area that you work on. Uh, that's something that for us, you know, it makes our work really interesting. And, and it also like stretches us because you need to constantly think about how can I apply this to the education space? What does this mean for tackling homelessness or mm -hmm. climate change? So all these really like grand challenges that societies across the world face, cross-sector partnerships can be one part of the solution. And again, you know, I'm not claiming that cross-sector partnerships are the answers to all the challenges that societies face, but they can be a really important part 
in all the work that we do, you know, inevitably we need to work with uh, partners in other organizations and doing that effectively and efficiently is so important for all the reasons I've already explained. So I think one thing that I would want to leave the listeners with and encourage them to do is think, what does this mean for your work? What kind of partnerships are you engaged in? And how will the focus on outcomes maybe change your work and make it maybe make it better? I feel the urge to clap for you, but we are in studio. <laughs> I will not. Thank you so much, Andrea. Um, my name has been Gloria. This has been the Oxford Policy Pod. And I'm Nikki. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you once again, Andrea, for joining us and having this amazing, insightful, inspiring conversation with us today. Um, to our audience, just remember to please follow us on social media channels. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Oxford Policy Pod. Remember to like, share, comment. We love to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>